Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Michelin tires. Go to TireRack.com sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. Hope you all are having a fantastic Thursday. We certainly are off and running here. We've got a loaded show for you, kind of put into perspective what's coming, give you a roadmap of the show. Hour one, we're just hanging, no guests. Hour two, we're going to be joined by Alex Marvez. We'll break down everything surrounding the NFL all of the different uh, discussion about the Super Bowl, a little bit of breakdown of the AFC and the NFC title game, uh, maybe even start to talk a little bit about the NFL draft as all of these mock drafts are starting to come out and the odds of who's going to get drafted and where comes out as well. Let's talk about all the coaching hires that were made and who's in better shape than they were beforehand. Hour three, we'll go out to the desert early in the morning with my guy Todd Furman, and we will break down um, all of the uh, stories kind of surrounding the gambling arena of the uh, Super Bowl and also maybe a little bit of college basketball as everybody starts to pivot their attention as well as the uh, NBA. Does Furman believe that there's actually anything to be worried about if you are a Cavs fan in terms of being a legitimate factor in the Eastern Conference? All that's still to come, but I think really the biggest story in the world of sports as we start here on Thursday morning is what's happened at Michigan State. Michigan State's president has resigned, and the continued fallout of the Larry Nasser case in uh, in the state of Michigan is a, I think, just a, an incredible window into modern college athletics to a certain extent, but also to how someone like Nasser can end up in a position of prominence and be able to reign like he did 
in a terror-like fashion for so long. We're talking about a 20-year reign of terror this guy had. And the degree to which everything kind of spirals and grows once we finally catch one of these guys in the act. Let me take a step back and talk about this because I thought the statement that was put out by Michigan State's president was it's getting a lot of attention for how tone deaf it was and is. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. But I also think that it raises some interesting questions about how extensive the reach should be on a scandal like this. And I want to circle back around to the Jerry Sandusky case. Obviously, I spent a lot of time writing and talking about the Jerry Sandusky case at the time that it occurred. And what was unique about the Jerry Sandusky case and the massive, I think it was free report that came out, was everybody trying to figure out what was the overall story there. Who knew what and when did they know it? That's the story of Joe Paterno. That's the story of the president of the university. That's the story of the athletic director. How much potential knowledge should there have been or was there about Jerry Sandusky and his just total uh, total indefensible behavior um, in the way that he was working and living in Happy Valley? Why did he suddenly resign? Why was he in the position that he was in where he was allowed to have the, the, the kind of the influence that he had over the years. This Michigan State story, I think, is a little bit more challenging because when you looked, there was decent evidence that people in positions of power at Penn State knew about these allegations about Sandusky and didn't do enough to protect the university community The Michigan State president, I think it's a little bit more challenging to figure out exactly how much she knew. And I also think it raises questions, not just in this case, but I think in a larger context about how the internet works today. I've talked about this before. Social media is basically a huge blame factory. I want you to think about this theory. Every time anything happens, social media is essentially there to try to figure out where the blame should go. And it can happen in relatively insignificant cases, such as a football game. Close football game ends, and almost immediately on social media, everybody goes to task to figure out who's to blame for this outcome. Is it the officials? Is it a coach? Is it a player? Almost immediately, there is an analysis of a game. And in that context, we sometimes spend time on, oh, this guy is heroic. Oh, what an unbelievable decision. Oh, what a positive outcome. But most of the time, it seems to me that the praise diminishes very rapidly. And what we're left with is the question of who is to blame? Who is to blame for this outcome? And it certainly happens in the world of politics. It certainly happens in the world of sports. And it happens in significant situations too, such as the Larry Nasser case, where I think there is such a desire for retribution that it's not enough to just punish the guy who is 100% culpable like Nasser. 
the circle of blame expands beyond him. And it includes anyone who should have been able to stop this guy and wasn't, and potentially also includes people who really didn't even know that much at all, but are in positions of prominence and should be torn down. So let me start here. I think that Larry Nassar, as I said on yesterday's show, I think that Larry Nassar, this doctor at Michigan State who would victimized hundreds of women at both the Michigan State University as well as the U.S. women's gymnastics team and the surrounding entities there, I think that he should be immediately executed. I think the minute that he walked out of that courtroom, he should have been guillotined, he should have been hung, he should have been shot by our firing squad, he should have been killed. Now, there's a lot of you out there that'll say, oh, he's going to go to prison and prison's going to be worse and he's going to spend the rest of his life there and it's going to be awful. I understand that argument. I don't buy it. I think what should happen to him is there's zero doubt, zero doubt of what he did. He has admitted to it. He is culpable. And so as a result, I think that he should basically be ended. I think that's the truth. Now, the question I think then becomes, what else should be done? I think what's scary about Larry Nasser is this story was literally taking place at the exact same time as Jerry Sandusky. And if you think about it, when Jerry Sandusky happened, what we said was, this can never happen again. The Jerry Sandusky case was so bad and it, victimization of kids was so indefensible that we said at the time, this should be a lesson to every college and every institution of higher learning or prominence at all, that we should never allow a situation like Jerry Sandusky to happen again. And I'll be damned if it wasn't taking place in the exact same division of the exact same conference. Larry Nassar is going for 20 years. 20 years he is going to continue and do basically the same kind of thing as Jerry Sandusky, and no one stopped him either. Until, to their credit, the Indianapolis newspaper finally believed some of these uh, victims and did a story to catch Larry Nasser. And the Indianapolis newspaper deserves a tremendous amount of credit, and I think we'll probably get some sort of movie around those guys. Certainly they're going to win a Pulitzer. Uh, more power to them. But when I look at the resignation letter of the president of Michigan State, this woman, uh, Ann Simon, uh, makes the decision to resign. And the letter is fascinating. And in particular, this perspective is getting a lot of attention. This, this paragraph. As tragedies are politicized, blame is inevitable. As president, it is only natural that I'm the focus of this anger. I understand, and that is why I have limited my personal statements. Throughout my career, I have worked very hard to put Team MSU first. Throughout my career, I have consistently and persistently spoken and worked on behalf of Team MSU. I've tried to make it not about me. I urge those who have supported my work to understand I cannot make it about me now Therefore, I am tending, tendering my resignation as president according to the terms of my employment agreement. Anyone who knows me knows I'm a principled person. I've spent my entire professional career more than 40 years at Michigan State. 
I love this place. I've watched it grow and prosper. It's been the honor and privilege of my life to serve as its president since 2005 and over the last few years to have the opportunity to work with all of you toward our shared goals for MSU. I will continue to do whatever I can to help Michigan State prosper in the future as a Spartan in whatever role I may play. Respectfully, Lou Anna K. Simon, uh, as she resigns. Now, the, the part of this statement that's getting the most attention by far is this paragraph. As tragedies are politicized, blame is inevitable. As president, it is only natural I'm the focus of this anger. I understand that's why I've limited my personal statements. Throughout my career, I've worked very hard to put Team MSU first. Okay, in particular, it's her saying, as tragedies are politicized, blame is inevitable. What I find interesting is the internet's all up in in an uproar. They're like, oh my God, how could she write this paragraph? How tone deaf could she be? Isn't Isn't this true? I mean, regardless of, I think everybody out there would say, regardless of your political leanings, regardless of your beliefs, regardless of what teams you root for, regardless of anything, in your common humanity, you agree that Larry Nassar should be responsible. I think the question becomes, where does the responsibility end? And this is something that the law has long grappled with. Where do we finally say, okay, this happened, but the resulting continuation of blame does not go where? And I don't think there are any easy answers, and I don't think she's wrong here. My understanding of what this president knew is that she was told there was a Title IX investigation into Larry Nassar, and she said, okay, conduct that investigation and do the best job that you can. And then the Title IX investigation that was conducted of Nasser came back and he and, and she was told and the university was told, we don't think he did anything wrong. We were unable to find a violation of any kind of university protocol and so Nasser remained in charge. What should she have done? It's easy to cast blame. And it's very natural, like I said, the internet is a blame factory. Immediately, I'm taking it into a much less significant fashion, but if you are active on social media, Facebook or Twitter, you know that the moment a major event happens, it turns into an argument about who's to blame. I think this is a more interesting question. Rather than just stand up and say, I'm angry, I want everybody to be at fault here. I want as many people fired as possible. I understand that desire. But I want to step back and think more logically here. What should the president of Michigan State have done to avoid getting fired? And I know everybody's out there like with the pitchforks and everybody's angry at Larry Nassar, and I understand that. But I want you to just think on a deeper level here. My understanding, I'm going to bring in the crew in the next segment, but I want to open up the phone lines, 877-996-6369. If you've been following this story, she's right here, I think. Blame is inevitable. And the bigger the story, the more blame we want to cast and the wider the net of blame expands. But what exactly did she do wrong here? It's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to fall on my sword. I'm resigning 
because this is such an ugly story for Michigan State to have employed this guy for so long. But what did she do wrong? And maybe some of you know more about this story and I'm missing some specific issue where she mishandled this. And I understand, like, I may, some people say, oh, you know, why would you even step into this case? I think that figuring out where the line of blame should extend is one of the most challenging things that exists in modern social media era. Because if you say anything other than everybody connected to this is an awful human being and they never deserve anything. I mean, this woman worked for a long time. She spent more than 40 years at Michigan State. I think it's clear to say she's not trying to protect a guy who is preying on innocent victims on Michigan State's campus. I always think in stories like this, let me put my lawyer hat on, if I were defending the worst person or the person least connected to the worst situation here, how would I defend them? That's what lawyers do, right? I have defended murder, uh, people who've been convicted of murder. I've defended people uh, charged with domestic assault, drug dealing, you name it, in the world of criminal justice. I have defended people who have done egregious wrong. Criminal justice system, you see people on their worst day. Think about whatever your worst day was in the criminal justice system if you are a lawyer or you are a police officer or you are working in the court system. You see people being held to task for probably the worst thing they've ever done in their life. And what I have found time and time again in the criminal justice system is that as easily as we want to believe that someone is awful, there frequently is a lot of things that they do that's not awful at all. Now, Larry Nasser maybe is a different story because the scope of his wrongdoing is so substantial. I'm not even remotely talking about him. But I do think it's a real challenge in our modern era to figure out how far the blame extends. What exactly did this woman do? What should she have done? Why is she being forced to resign other than people are angry and there needs to be someone to blame? The U.S. women's gymnastics people who stepped down from the board, I understand why they had to resign. They made a poor decision. They settled a claim against this guy rather than go public. All of that I understand. But this woman, this president of Michigan State, what did she actually know? And why did she lose her job? Leave aside the fact that this is an awful, egregious incident. Nobody's talking about Larry Nasser. Again, I said on the front steps of the courthouse, I would kick his stool out from underneath him to hang him this morning. If they called me and they said, Clay Travis, we need somebody to show up outside the courthouse in Michigan because we've decided to hang Larry Nasser and we need somebody to kick the stool out from underneath him to allow him to hang. Are you okay doing this? I'd say, yeah, tell me what time to be there. I'll get on a plane. I don't think that guy deserves to live for what he did. But what did Michigan State's president do? And as the internet went crazy with her statement, as tragedies are politicized, blaming is inevitable. As president, it is only natural that I'm the focus of this anger. I understand, and that's why I've limited my personal statements and that's why she's resigning. That's what she said in her statement. Isn't that true? Despite the fact that the internet's all in an uproar over that statement. And what did she do 
that demands that she step down now. I want your calls on it. I'm, I'm genuinely curious. I want you to be logical about it. I don't want you to get your pitchfork. I don't want you to run around angry. I want you to logically make the case why this woman is resigning because there was a monster that worked at Michigan State. And my understanding of the only knowledge she has is that she was told a Title IX investigation took place. She said, okay, do a good investigation. And then when those results came back, she said, okay. I don't know why the person who did the Title IX investigation is not more under scrutiny. But here, what did the president do wrong? Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Alex Marvez with us now. Alex, who wins the Super Bowl and why? Uh, Easy question for you to start. Uh, It's easy. It's New England. And and I say that because been there, done that, pull away in the second half. They know how to win. I just don't know. Again, maybe I'm, I'm underestimating Nick Foles. I do know this. The Eagles had the best home field advantage in football. All season play, 15.8 points. That was the average margin of victory when they played at the link. They weren't as good away from there. I just feel like that's something for it. I just, I, I just like this Patriots team. They're not as good as what the ones we've had in the past play, but I tell you, I just feel like they're, you know, just have this mojo about them, Brady, whatever, and also the end of an era. Josh McDaniels, Matt Patricia, these guys going. I mean, and Joe Judge, the special teams coach, looks like he's headed out the door as well because the Patriots don't pay very well to their assistants. So I, I just feel like this, this, the Patriots could do it one more time, and then this may be it, though, for, for this run. But, of course, we'll say that when the Patriots, it is all finally said and done because they always continue to win. Okay, several big quarterback questions for teams that advance substantially into the playoffs. What happens with Blake Bortles in Jacksonville? Still up in the air, but I, I think that this is a team that may go short-term deal or franchise tag, or not franchise tag, keep him at one year at $19 million. Uh, you know, offer an extension, see if Blake Bortles is up for that. You might go a two- or three-short-term, you know, two- or three-year deal, but I also think this is a team that is in the market to potentially draft a quarterback depending upon what is available later in the first round. Do you think Kirk Cousins or Drew Brees or Alex Smith, any of those guys, will be on new teams in 2018? Alex Smith will be on a new team. He will get traded. The Chiefs need to get back something, you know, considering they gave up a first-round pick for Patrick Mahomes, and Alex Smith is a a likable commodity, you know? I mean, that's the thing. He's a guy who can win games automatically for you. Kirk Cousins, I still think, I think more likely than not a transition tag from the Washington Redskins, and this would allow them, if if no one else signs him to an offer sheet that Kirk likes, you can keep him at a base salary of around $28 million. If a team decides to blow out the salary slots for quarterbacks and sign him to a deal averaging $30, $31 million a year, well, the Redskins may say this is too costly, or they can then go ahead and bring him in. Drew Brees isn't going anywhere. I mean, he'll come up with something with New Orleans. He wants to be there. The Saints want him there. The big question is, again, how much are you paying Drew Brees? We're talking Matt Stafford setting the bar high for quarterbacks now at about $27.5 million a season. What is Drew Brees going to want, seeing that he's actually won a playoff game before, let alone a Super Bowl? Matt Stafford hasn't, yet he's got this big contract. So are we going to be looking at Drew Brees at $28, $29 million a season on a two- or three-year deal? We're talking to Alex Marvez. Alex, who do you think made the best coaching hire in the offseason for the NFL? Who made the worst? Sean McVay has just been brilliant. I mean, he really has. And listen, I didn't buy into it at first. You know, I'm just thinking, okay, how's a a guy going to be able to, you know, handle – 
uh, you know, all of those situations when you're 30 years old, when you're being hired, are you going to be able to command respect from your players? And he really did. And he brought in good guys to the locker room. You know, it's a sign of a good coach. When guys who were on the team before that were sort of schlepping around start getting better. I mean, Todd Gurley looks like Todd Gurley again, right? I mean, you see the development of young players. Jared Goff, and think about what happened with him. And, and you know, the successful split of uh, duties between him and Wade Phillips. I mean, that... That, to me, was just a, a really, really nice addition to that team. I'm trying to think of who was hired as a new coach. Because there weren't, really weren't that I actually, many. Actually, that, that's a good breakdown of McVay. I actually meant the guys who have been hired so far. Like, they haven't even coached a game yet, but you see him on paper and you think, okay, that guy's going to be killer. He's an absolutely outstanding hire and a guy that you're not sure about of all the jobs that opened up just this past off season. Well, I mean, we're talking about the new hires right now. Yes. Uh, new hires right now, uh, I tell you, Steve Wilkes in Arizona, that's just a, a huge task. I'll be honest with you. I mean, that's a biggie because you're talking about a situation there where you have no quarterback and you have no answer at quarterback, right? I mean, you were talking about Alex Smith and guys like that before, but wh- who's Arizona going to have under center? Right now it would be Drew Stanton or Blaine Gabbert. You know, that's, not, that's a recipe for failure. Plus, think about it like this, too. You're talking about an offense that's going to be completely different under him than it was under Bruce Arians. So you're talking about switching out personnel. And if Larry Fitzgerald decides to call it a career, I mean, it just sets you that much further back. So I think that was just probably the worst job out there. I, you know, the Matt Patricia hire, especially keeping Jim Bob Cooter as offensive coordinator and being able to hit the ground running with Stafford, who I do think, by the way, is an outstanding quarterback, and I can understand why the Lions pay him. I think that's the job that you're really ready to win at right away. I, I like the hire of Matt Patricia, and we'll find out now if he's truly ready to become a head coach. I mean, he had interest. This was his time to leave the, you know, fly the nest, so to speak, and he's actually he's taking advantage of that with the Lions. Who do you think will be the first quarterback taken, and how many quarterbacks in the first round do you think will go? Sam Darnold will be the first quarterback taken because he's got, you know, a lot of, he checks a lot of boxes, let's put it like that. Everyone else really comes with some sort of flaw. You know, with Josh Rosen, I mean, there's concern. I'm here at the Reese's Senior Bowl in Mobile, by the way. You know, Josh Rosen, has, you know, he always has to be the smartest guy in the room. And that's not going to work at a lot of levels in the NFL. You need to be willing to show, you need to be, you know, able to show that you're willing to learn, grow up a little bit. Josh Allen is going to, is going to really tempt a lot of teams, you know, to go in the first round play because he's a big bodied guy, has a, has a physical resemblance to Ben Roethlisberger. He threw the football yesterday at 66 miles an hour. That is a smoking football. The problem is not every ball needs to be thrown at 66 miles an hour. The kid needs some work. He will be a first round pick though. You could see, uh, you could see Baker Mayfield being a first-round pick. I mean, you know, again, a little bit of concern about maturity there, but he's got an it factor to him. You can see that the way the kids practice when he's out there on the field here at the Senior Bowl, I mean, he picks everybody up. I think he's going to be a really intriguing guy. You know, don't discount Lamar Jackson going potentially late in the first round because the more teams are running pass-read option type stuff or read-pass option RPO like the Philadelphia Eagles. So look for Lamar Jackson to get a look. And Mason Rudolph is someone I think that could potentially slip into the first round as well. You know, again, quarterbacks, because there aren't enough of them, they get drafted early even though the draft stock may not be commensurate to that position. You're at the Senior Bowl. Who else has impressed you the most down there that you think, man, this guy's going to be a definite first-round pick? He's been incredible. Uh, the, uh, the Arizona State running back, and I'm drawing a blank on his name. I think it's Battle. I mean, he, is a, he has been, had a really, really good week here. Uh, you know, he, is, he has impressed folks tremendously. Um, other than that, I mean, you know, it's an interesting deal. I, I just, you know, these evaluations is from one practice where you're the, really the things that like, helps you guys, like a Marcus Davenport, you know, UT San Antonio. 
you know, he didn't really play a lot of high-level competition, but he's six foot five, two fifty-nine, has every intangible you would want as, a, as an outside pass rusher. You know how he fares against better competition this week. That's going to determine how high he goes in the draft, a likely first rounder. You know, the other thing too, James Washington, he's got a great personality. He was obviously the Blitzenkopf Award winner, but Clay, you know, he's not six feet tall. That's the problem with some of the college media guys, as you know. You were listed at six foot four in the UT media guide, so I'm. <laughs> I'm totally familiar with this sort of thing, um, but in, in his case, five foot ten and, and you know seven eighths. I'll be honest with you; I, I would not be surprised if Marcel Aitman maybe gets a shot at going before him because he's a much bigger bodied guy with a larger catch radius, who's a little bit of Michael Thomas in him. As you know, Washington is it's good, but he actually just the measurements themselves. Can you do, you know you you know as a Titans fan, Kendall Wright, small receiver. You know, I mean, you, you got to be – it's just hard in the first round to make that sort of pick. I think he's a guy who may fly back a little bit later, even though he may have a very successful NFL career just like he did with the Cowboys. Outstanding as always. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.